Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Mike, very much for leading us in our opening. Welcome to those who are online with us this morning. We're uh, continuing on in our study of 1 John, and we are moving on to chapter 5. Progress! We're getting close to the end. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Be turning there, and if you are able to stand, please uh, join me uh, in standing for the reading of God's holy word. You'll hear some very familiar themes here as I read. Pay attention to how they are interwoven. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father, uh, and everyone, yeah, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And the Lord adds his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. There are many in this world who claim to know and even to love God, yet with very little evidence uh, in their thought and behavior that they really do so, uh, besides the fact that they make an assertion uh, about a God that is often totally foreign to the inspired word. John here was contending against false teachers who claimed to know and love God, while at the same time were ripping apart the church with heresy. Uh, John writes here uh, so that genuine believers, followers of Christ, would know beyond a doubt that they were truly Christ's. And he provides the tests to apply so that they could prove it. Now, we don't often think about it this way, that you can prove that you're a Christian. There is a spiritual aspect of this. The Lord knows our hearts and so on. But it is not an accident that John gives us these tests to apply to our own lives. There are indeed religions that claim to be Christian that while at the same time assert that you cannot truly be certain of your salvation until the day of judgment, uh, which is a, a rather hopeless business. But uh, John says otherwise. And like you've heard before in this epistle, the word know is prominent here, that you, we may know uh, these things. We may know that we love God. We know that we're loved of God. We may know that we're born of him. And he gives us these tests. And all of these tests are nothing new uh, to us as we've gone through this book. Uh, you've heard all of them before. But as John is coming to the end, he's leaving nothing to chance. And he's drawing all of these threads together that he's been talking about and putting them into one very tight fabric. Uh, 
I think probably most here, at least most of the adults, are familiar with the phrase high thread count. Right? When you go to buy your sheets, you know, for your, your room, you buy, if, if you, if you uh, desire it, you like to get those high thread count sheets because they're a little softer and slicker and they, they seem to last longer and all of that and they certainly cost more. Uh, but they're very, very tight, tightly woven. Well, this is a high thread count uh, uh, portion of scripture here. Uh, John is definitely got the high thread count thing going uh, with his argument. He's weaving together all of these threads that he's already spent quite a bit of time with uh, dealing uh, with individually in his letter. But so tightly are these tests that he presents here interwoven that you can hardly separate them. And unlike uh, what might be some of our tendency to do, you cannot selectively leave one out without unraveling the fabric. All three go together. But with these three tests, I believe God, uh, God through uh, the Apostle John, is telling us that you can prove, you can demonstrate, and be confident in your love for your Heavenly Father, and consequently then, your, be confident of your relationship with Him. Now, you can see in the notes pages that I've given to you there, Talk about argument flow and threads. So if, I'm going to keep going with this thread and, and fabric analogy. So we've all heard that phrase, the warp and the woof of something. Uh, that is not talking about something that is bent and barking. Okay, uh, This has to do with, this is old Anglo-Saxon stuff that speaks of how fabric is put together. And that phrase has come to mean the foundational arguments of things. The bedrock of anything is called the warp and the woof of something. And that's because uh, with the, the warp, those are the threads that are in a loom, are stretched across, stretched tightly. Oh, wait a minute, let's see the other way around. I get, yeah, they go this way. Um, they go a long ways, and they're, they're in there uh, nice and tight. And then the woof are the ones that are going across and that are constantly being built in. And you put those two things together, and that's how they're interwoven. And that provides the structure for that piece of fabric. So, so I'm calling the argument flow there. These are the, these are the warp threads, the ones that are anchored in here. If the, this is the bare structure of these five verses. It begins... You know that you've been reborn when you believe. So it starts with belief and new birth. And then in the middle of these verses, you know that you love the brothers properly when you love and obey the Father. That's your standard. And then he returns to the belief concept, but adds a twist to it uh, when he says, you know that uh, you will, you know that you will overcome when you believe. So, if you take the beginning and the end, you know you've been reborn when you believe and you know you will overcome when you uh, believe. There's a <clears throat> strong correlation in these threads. Strong relationship in these threads that are anchored into this loom of our Lord's that ties together the new birth with victory over the world. If before we get to the wolf part, before you uh, 
when you start to struggle, you think you're struggling with overcoming the world, it's always a good idea to go back and say, am I really born again? And what's the nature of my belief? Because those things are really tied together. You can't really undo them. If you are truly a child of God, born of Him, there will be sanctification. There will be progress unto glorification. Um, if there's not, then there's a problem. So that's the, the general flow of the argument. That's what's anchored in. Then the threads that give, give this section color, uh, if you want to put it that way, and give it its pattern. Uh, he begins with faith that leads to, that's what those little arrows are for, uh, a faith that leads to new birth. Love for the Father leads to love for those who have been born again, for the newborn. And this is a familiar theme, right? We've talked about this a lot, and we're going to talk about it some more today. If you don't love your brother, you can't love you. You can't say you love the Father. Okay. Obedience leads to overcoming, and that's the new birth in action. The the new birth or uh, being born again is a strong theme in this section, and then it closes up with faith, the belief uh, leading to overcoming. Really, that new birth, that's the source of where uh, obedience is the new birth in action. Faith is the source of that new birth. So these are the, all of these threads. And as I was looking at all this and trying to figure out, all right, how do we, how am I going to organize this and think about this and make it so that it really, I mean, there are five verses. They seem pretty simple, but then you start looking at it and it, there's all this intricate interweaving that's going on here. And I think probably the simplest thing is to just to look at the tests themselves so that's what we're going to do. Uh, in verse 1 and then verses 4 and 5, there's a strong emphasis upon the first test. Again, he has talked about this before, but he's bringing it all here together uh, at the end of his little letter. And the first test is belief and or, or faith, uh, particularly an orthodox faith. Now, you know, he's talking to uh, a church that's been hit hard by heretics and, and uh, people who have been divisive. And in that, uh, that divisiveness, it's rooted and grounded in false doctrine, in what is not true. What is not true. Even while they're saying certain things uh, about, uh, about Christ and they're using his name, we're talking about God and talking about the prophets and talking about any number of other things that sound really spiritual. There's not any real life there. Their faith is not orthodox. They are false teachers. <clears throat> Let me wrap this up and then I'm going to talk about a couple things about this, this test by itself. First of all, take a, if you'll turn over to Romans chapter 10. This orthodox, this true faith that is, that is given, the, the information that you're believing in is truly given by God and, and uh, taking it from no other source. Take a look at verse, uh, beginning of verse 8. But what does it say, and speaking of the, the scriptures, the law is the reference there from verse uh, um, 5. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we, re, we proclaim. 
Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So belief and confession go hand in hand. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the kind of belief that John the Apostle is talking about. It's in the heart, and it comes out the mouth, and it's orthodox in both places. That Jesus, is, the, the, the Jesus who has revealed himself as the Son of God is the one with whom we have to do. And when we confess with our mouths that he truly is Lord in our estimation, uh, and we are, have our confidence in that, um, that, is, that is saving faith, faith unto new birth. But as I mentioned before, the connection between saving faith and actually living it out is very strong. Again, if there is no living out the faith in deeds, um, thoughts, words, and deeds, uh, then the confession is suspect because this belief leads to overcoming the world. If you look back in 1 John again, we've heard, these, we've heard this phrase before, this overcome and overcoming um, terminology in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. He says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. And 14, um, I write to you, young men, because you're strong. The word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. The word overcome uh, doesn't mean to just subdue for a while. It means to defeat it and conquer it. <coughs> Truly, being born of God is the only path to once and for all overcome the world. Look at chapter 4 and verse 4. <clears throat> Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. That's uh, speaking of the Antichrists uh, in this context. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. As we are become one with the Father by his redemption and adoption of us as his children, we finally have the power to withstand the devil and having done all to stand in the evil day. Without that connection, it's only outer reformation that cannot, um, cannot stand, and it certainly doesn't take the place of saving faith. Now, this, uh, I mentioned I would say a word or two about this particular test by itself. And I also mentioned earlier that these three tests all go together. You don't try to take them piecemeal. You go, well, I'll work on that one, but I don't, I don't need to worry so much about the other. <clears throat> there are many that will say, as I mentioned before, that they believe in God. James, the Apostle James, what did he say? He said, you believe in God. Remember how that verse goes? You do well. Who else believes, does James say, believes? The demons, they also believe. And they tremble. The fallen angels know, God, know who God is far better than we do. 
They know a whole lot more about him than we do. And they have a far greater understanding and appreciation of who he is and what he can do than we do. They believe. You ever think about that? The devils believe in God. Oh, yeah. But they tremble before him. They have no redemption. They have no uh, hope. They have nothing but the expectation of the lake of fire forever. So just believing in God in, in an intellectual sense, and people will spend their lives studying about God, and they'll read the Bible, they'll do all kinds of things, but never really surrender before their king. It's, be, it's an intellectual exercise. Belief by itself is not a sufficient test. Even orthodoxy is not a sufficient test. I'm treading a bit on a shaky ground here, um, in maybe in some of your minds, but I don't think it's really all that shaky. I remember, and I think I may have told you this story before, but if, so if I have, forgive me, now that I'm a year older, you know, my, I may not remember. Uh, but... When I was in college, we did uh, prison ministry. And I remember going to, uh, this was in Anderson, South Carolina, um, a medium uh, security uh, facility. And we went in there uh, week by week and ministered to the inmates. And one of the, one of the guys, one of the guys who was there was a chaplain's assistant. Uh, there was a prison chaplain this guy, he was an inmate, but he was one of the, he was the, he was the chaplain's assistant. And he had uh, decided he wanted to do that, uh, I think, partly because, you know, it, it looks good on your record. Uh, he was trying to behave himself. Um, this was a guy that was in prison for, he had murdered his mother and some other family members. He's not a nice guy. And you think, well, he's chaplain's assistant. He must love God. Maybe he had a change of heart. Well, you'd like to think so. Um, he spent most of his time uh, trying to dissuade us from believing and preaching in Jesus and trying to show uh, from the Bible how what Orthodox Christianity said was true couldn't be. That guy knew the scriptures better than any of us, all of us put together as college students. He had it down. But his whole reason for studying it and learning it was so that he could reject Christianity. Um, did he know what the Orthodox faith was? Oh, absolutely. And he spent his life trying to undo it. So just knowing stuff and being Orthodox is not enough. Okay? There's a second test that goes along with this in, verses, in verse 2. Well, it's actually in verse 1, 2. Uh, 1 also. Uh, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. I'm going to stop at the loving God. The second test is love. <clears throat> and this is the familiar term uh, of, of agape, selfless, sacrificial love, that love that, that mirrors the kind of love that our Lord uh, exhibited toward us as He sent His Son to die on the cross for us. This love shows itself, again, as John has talked about before, in love for the Father and love for the saints. 
But this is one of the tests. This is how we know that we love the children of God. How do we know that? And by he really means properly. I mean, we can, we can show affection towards one another. We can help each other out. We can do certain things. But are we really sacrificially loving them? Or are we doing it for our own purposes to make ourselves feel good? I remember years ago, there was a campaign, the Give Five campaign, that the, the uh, whatever, some, the government, research, the research council or whatever that thing is, uh, they were trying to encourage volunteerism in the country. Maybe you've seen, remember those, and they talked about, they always had the hand up, give five. You know, give five minutes of your time, give five dollars of your money, give something. And the whole thrust of that, that campaign to encourage volunteerism, as you know, you think it's, it's all about thinking about your fellow man, thinking about the good of your neighbors, it's all of that. That was secondary. Uh, the whole thrust of that campaign, if some of you may remember this, was how good this is going to make you feel. So you can have, you can do loving things, but be doing it to serve yourself, and that is not sacrificial love for your brother. You won't know if you're loving your brethren properly unless you're loving your Lord properly. And loving the Father, um, we have from the book of Deuteronomy uh, just a, a great summary of what loving God properly is all about. And now, Israel, what does Yahweh your God require of you but to fear Yahweh your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of Yahweh, which I am commanding you today for your good. There's no halfway love there, is there? To love the Lord with everything that we have. And that means that everything that we possess, our time, our material possessions, our abilities, are all devoted to Him. And whatever it takes to show Him that love, we're willing to do. That's the kind of love that John is talking about here. That's the kind of test. There's a, there's a, uh, again, the idea that you can just believe in God. As long as I believe in Him, that's good enough. No, there is a relationship involved, a loving relationship. And belief needs to be combined with devotion. If you want to use that term as a is a, another way of thinking about it. Not just having orthodox faith, but genuine devotion. A, a, a saying that I've quoted many times in my ministry, no doubt here as well, the, the now he's now with the Lord, but the, the old evangelist Vance Habner uh, used to talk about, um, there's a lot of Christians out there that are straight as a gun barrel theologically and just as empty. We need to be f- filled with love and devotion to our Lord, not just have things straight. And that is love and devotion for our Lord that carries over then into love and devotion to our brothers and sisters. John has said before, don't say you love God if you don't love your brothers. He says you're a liar. So this second test is part of the the, the warp and the woof here of this the, the fabric of our faith and the fabric of our Christian experience to know with certainty that we are truly the Lord's. Both of these things need to be there. Orthodoxy, genuine uh, uh, saving faith, and devotion 
uh, love for our Lord. And then the third test, which uh, you've already seen as well, and I know you already know what it is. But uh, this is sort of in the spirit of, uh, again, uh, quoting the Apostle James, where he made it very clear that uh, you, sh- you talk about your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by your works. The fact is that faith without works is what? It's dead. It means nothing. You can say all, you can talk to your blue in the face. And you can send out all kinds of loving messages. But then if you go out and live precisely as you want without regard to God's word, the other stuff doesn't really mean anything. You cannot piecemeal this. Now the flip side of this, the third test obviously is obedience. If you take obedience by itself, what do you end up being? A legalist. As long as I dot my I's and cross my T's and mind my P's and Q's, let's see how many alphabet images I get going there. Uh, If I can do all of that stuff and do it all right, then God will have to be pleased with me and that's how I'm going to know that I'm right with Him because I've done everything He told me to do. If you've ever thought that way, how did that work out for you? How well did you do at your perfect obedience? Can't do it. But we will try. And if we try to take this test by itself, we end up being no better than the Pharisees who, wow, did they ever know the law? But they were the blind leaders of the blind, Jesus said. And that both they and the people they were trying to lead would fall into the ditch because they didn't know where they were going. They were so consumed with the, you know, every little jot and tittle. It's not that you you should be careless about the law. Don't get me wrong. You shouldn't be. You should be really circumspect about it. You should be really careful to try to do those things that God has said. But not without orthodox uh, belief and not without love for God. Not just, I'm just going to do this so I can earn it, but I'm going to do this out of gratitude and love in response to what God has done to me, not in an effort to earn what God does to me. Huge difference. God uh, demands of us to obey His commandments. In John 14, what did Jesus say? If you love me, obey my commandments or keep my commandments. Yeah. That's a... That's a a demonstration of your love. And that's John's point here in this letter uh, to the believers. Obey God's commands to show your love for Him. It's a demonstration uh, of that love. And it it serves as a good test. If uh, you live your life any way you please without regard for His law, um, the Lord says you don't really know Him. You should, certainly don't love him. Um, not, not in the way that um, he requires of us. But I remember uh, years ago, I was, I was preaching on Psalm 19. And I got to verse, this is back in Pennsylvania, and I got to verse 8, in the phrase that the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And I made the comment then that, at that time, that... Um, 
you know, if, if you truly love the Lord, you will delight to do what he commands of us to do. Now, that's a, a good test for, you know, if your love for him is genuine or not. And I had uh, a young person take issue with that. And we, I was there for a week, so we had, we had quite, a, quite a discussion that lasted uh, into that week. Uh, she did not want to believe that. She wanted to live her old way of life. She'd prayed a prayer. She'd gone down an aisle and been told that she was now a Christian. But she says, I don't like this. I want to live the way I used to live. I said, well, then I'd say you're not a Christian. Which, that kind of made her mad. So, uh, I was a little nicer than that. But, you know, I mean, the thing is, if, if you, you want to say, yeah, I want to believe in God and do what he says, but no, I don't really want to do what he says. I just wanted to save me in spite of it, and I still want to live. I want to go out and party with my friends, and I want to do all this other kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, choose you this day whom you will serve. Um, she came to Christ later. Praise God, by His grace. I heard about it uh, the following year. A mutual acquaintance said, hey, you remember that person? <laughs> yeah. Wow, she was totally changed. And I uh, was serving Christ with joy in the church and no more grousing because, you know, God told her that she needed to be holy. So anyway, uh, obedience proves, uh, shows your love for him. And the, this, the word burdensome uh, is an interesting word. Sometimes we think of of uh, burdens, I, I know when when I go. <laughs> uh, okay, well she's not. My, my, I think Karen's down in the nursery. So when we travel, there for a while it's kind of a standing joke that I would have one bag and my wife would have like four. <laughs> and uh, and we go in and when we go into a hotel, uh, we'd have our suitcases, then we'd have a shoe bag, and then we'd have a bag of food, and then we'd have a bag of this, and we'd have a bag of that, and we'd have a bag of the other, and we're there for one night, but we've got to bring it all in from the car because we can't leave it in there. And we have to get a, you know, the big cart thing and roll it in there uh, with all the little bags hanging off. Some of you are smiling with knowing looks. Um, we like to streamline. I do. Um... But I will say, Karen is marvelous. She has worked very hard, and sometimes she packs now less than I do. It's so it's it's awesome. And we consolidate bags. Here's a thought, ladies, okay, or guys, if it's, if you're the culprit, consolidate fewer bags. You'll you'll thank me for it. And then travel will not be burdensome, which means heavy or oppressive. All right. It's not just that it's an annoyance. It's not that his commands just kind of irritate us a little bit. John is saying his commands are not oppressive. The world wants to say that it is. That's, what, that's exactly what the devil did in the Garden of Eden. Did he not? Has God said, this isn't really going to happen. That's really not going to be. God is unreasonable in expecting this of you. This is an unreasonable, oppressive rule that God has put on your life, Adam and Eve. And the world wants to pretend that God's law is oppressive when actually walking according to the precepts of God's law is liberating. It's liberating. 
So John says, obey him. Do what he says. And secondly, uh, there in verse 3, we read, um, this is the love of God uh, that, is, that we keep his commandments. And what, what is one of his commandments that has been over and over in this text here and throughout this book? That we do what? We love our brethren. We love one another. Yeah. Show your love for the saints by obeying his commands. This is all about, we've talked about orthodox faith. We've talked about devotion. Another, way, another word for obedience we might use is service. Where we're ministering to our Lord and we're ministering to one another. Motivated by love, out of obedience, in accordance with what is true concerning Jesus Christ. This fabric is tightly woven. You cannot leave one or the other of these tests out and then be able to say at the end, well, I'm really confident that I know. John, uh, in John's epistle, or uh, a gospel, excuse me, in chapter 13, verse 35, he said, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples because what? You know, most of you know this. Because you love the brethren. Right? If you have love for one another, that's how you show your love for God, by loving the saints properly. This... uh, this idea that, um, again, if we, I didn't talk about it, what happens if you just take the love test. I just love, you know. If you only do love, then you won't care about truth because you'll be more concerned with making everything go around, go, get, go, along, to, go along to get along, right? <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, either that or you'll just, uh, you'll just excuse everything. And uh, you're going to be uh, someone that isn't really concerned so much about, about uh, truth and right and even obedience. Because after all, if, if I go to obey the Lord in this thing and it offends somebody else or it hurts somebody's feelings because I'm obeying Christ and they're not, well, maybe I shouldn't do that right now. You know, there are people that we, we can make those kinds of excuses. So each of these tests comes together. Um, there's a few of you here of an, of an engineering bent. Um, but all of us have taken tests one, one, uh, one time or another in our lives. So I want you to think about tests for a minute. Is there anyone here that enjoys taking tests? Okay, good. Um, I was a little worried somebody might raise their hands and I'd have to change this whole thing or either that or ask them to leave because after all... They are very different from the rest of us. Right? We don't like taking tests. But what is the purpose of taking a test? To see what you know. Right? Wouldn't, when you come to test time, if you're going to take one, wouldn't you prefer to take a short one? Everybody with me on that one? Yes, I know you are. As few questions as possible. Emmett had his hand up there for a long time. Yeah, he just really um, we want to get we want to get it up, get it down, get it out over with, so I can get out of there. If you take a slapdash approach to a test, really short, sweet, to the point, 
doesn't really cover too much material. You might get in there and get out, and you might get a good grade on it. But I want to ask you what kind of confidence you would have in that knowledge. Do you think you're likely to be more confident in what you know if you have been thoroughly tested or if you've been just kind of hit and miss tested? I go back to the engineering point. Um, in the test that some of you who are from that, in that line of work, in, in those tests, if you are not examined and thoroughly tested on things that have to do with, and I don't know what everybody's doing, whether it's electrical engineering or whether it's um, civil engineering or any kind of other engineering where you're putting things together that have to work, some kind of system, if you haven't been thoroughly tested in certain aspects of those systems, how confident are you going to be about your engineering skills? Unless you're an arrogant buffoon, you're not going to be very confident. You're going to probably figure, you know what, I need to go bone up on that before I, before I have people's lives depending on what it is that I'm putting together here. To be thoroughly tested means to have all the components there. If you don't have those, the fabric is weak, your confidence is low. But if you have these three together, orthodox faith, with devotion, with uh, obedience and service unto our Lord then you will have proof insofar as we may know that in our fallen condition. But we may have confidence in the declaration that we really are of Christ. And we may use these tests also to discern the, uh, about the, de the declarations and position of others who would try to speak for Jesus Christ apart from his word or with it or in accordance with his word. We'll know who's true and who isn't. That's what John is trying to do here. He's not just talking to them personally, saying so that you can know. It's also so you can know about the people who are teaching you. Apply these tests. If you tear the fabric of these tests apart, it just won't do. They must be taken as a whole cloth. And only when you pass these tests, as a whole, by the grace of God, will you know that you're the Lord's and possess eternal life, and you will know also who truly are of the Lord's, of the Lord, and who are not. Testing is not much fun. We're supposed to examine ourselves whether we be in the faith. That's part of the, one of the requirements before we come to the Lord's table, is it not? But that examination is not just limited to when we come to the Lord's table. It's all the time. And looking in the mirror is often not a pleasant experience. But we need to do it with our eyes open. Testing promotes patience. It also promotes confidence. May God give us the grace to pass these tests with flying colors. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your mercies. I thank you that you give us tests. That you test us, you try us, not just with these things of what we consider within our own hearts and minds, but Lord, you, you test us and, uh, through times of affliction and trial and difficulty as well. 
so that we can uh, um, see that dross in us being burned away and be made more and more pure and conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the testing process because we know that it means that we are legitimately in the class and have a right to take that test. That you're grading us, as it were, in accordance with the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to pass these tests. Help us to believe in accordance with your word. Help us to be utterly devoted to you and to each other, Lord, and help us to walk uh, to show that love and put that belief into action as we walk in obedience to you. For your burden truly, uh, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Give us the strength to walk with joy in it. In Christ's name we pray.